right. Welcome back to Utah Places and Traces. We have a riveting story for you today. Uh, This is the story of a young man who tragically perished inside of one of Utah's most notorious caves and um, just kind of um, the story and how it happened and how sad it was and all of the details that people may not have heard. I know that a lot of people in Utah, especially those who were raised here, um, have probably heard this story in passing, um, but may not know a lot of the details about it. But So we're just going to jump into depth in this story and hopefully teach you a little lesson about caving and how dangerous it can be. Yeah. Um, We don't, you know, obviously at the end of the day, it's everyone's decision to do it or not. And we're not saying do it or don't do it, but we did want to present some facts and they're not going to be the easiest facts to swallow. So, you know, as they say, listen at your own risk from here on out. If you're claustrophobic, might want to skip this one. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's valuable to, um, of course, of course, I think it's valuable to hear these types of stories. Um, just, you know, so we can learn from them and be careful, learn how to be as careful as we can. And also honor um, the memory of people who who went before us. I mean, John Jones seems like a really amazing guy, so I want to talk about him. Yeah, there's like that element, you know, you'll always meet people who say things like, you know, I wouldn't know, I don't know why you'd go caving, you're just stupid, you know. And then you hear people who are really ignorant and say, oh, well, they deserve to die. Obviously, they went in there. Well, no, nobody deserves that, right? And it was their choice to get into this sport. And there is an element of bravery that I think you need to at least honor, you know, like exploration is a cool thing. And, um, while I can't say I would necessarily be comfortable doing all this, I'm not gonna, you know, say that, uh, I spit on this guy for having made this decision. You know, yeah. people have their hobbies and you got to respect it. So John Jones was a adventurous guy. Like by no means was he dumb or did he make a poor decision? I think that accidents just happen and there's sometimes there's nothing we can do about it and we can learn from it, you know? Amen. Um, so he, he was a pretty experienced caver, actually. Um, this is the first time he'd been in Nutty Putty Cave. Um, this was kind of a exciting thing that him and his family and a couple of his brothers had been excited about going into. Um, they discovered Nutty Putty Cave, and um, they, had, they had gotten permits to go in that weekend. This is the weekend of Thanksgiving. He had come home with his wife and his um, one child, and they went out to go caving just as a family activity like they had done many times before. And that's kind of where the story starts. Um, but before we get into that, um, just want to talk a little bit about the history of caving in Utah and just kind of our experiences. So what are your experiences with caving? So, or spelunking as they say, yeah. Can I, you mind if I go Casey? So I've had experiences and, and look, okay, I'll just be honest. I did scouts Right. I, I never had like a weird, you know, uh, a, a trusting with an adult, nothing weird at all. I, I enjoyed Good scouts actually. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I was an Eagle scout and I am, I should say an Eagle scout, but I was, I never really valued the, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, Isaac and Casey are reminding me how, how proud I am of my achievements. Um, but it, for me, the appeal to scouting was more like the lessons learned about character and leadership and stuff. And so camping, not really, my jam as it were. I like camping. Adventurous stuff is not really me. I'm a pretty domestic character. <laughs> you know, I like my comfy shoes and sitting and, by the fire and a book. Yeah. But, um, uh, I did one in Colorado. I did a caving experience and a lot of the reason why I don't re- remember loving it is I, I just had a bad attitude for sure. Um, 
you know, I didn't like a lot of my peers. I didn't like a lot of my leaders, but remembering the parts of it that were kind of the scariest, I look back and think like, man, how did I do that? Cause you know, you have just inches of headway and you just got to trust your equipment and trust the professionals or whatever who are guiding you through there. So there was that. Um, yeah, it was harrowing. It was fun. I won't say it wasn't fun, but I think my experiences that I prefer caving wise are like when I went to Carlsbad caverns, um, giant, you walk the whole way, tons of lighting, love it. Uh, and then like when we went, Isaac and I have been into, into that mine in Poland. You remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. I mean, it's far from caving in the sense of, you know, whatever, but you're underground. In a sure. So I guess that's it's moral of my story is I like it when you can walk around and there's lights <laughs> and there's uh, food stands where you can buy snacks. <laughs> I take it you're a tad claustrophobic. Uh, to say the least. So yeah. am I. I. I actually think I'm pretty severely claustrophobic. No shame at all in saying that. Yeah. It's a survival mechanism. <laughs> I can't do it. I cannot do it. <laughs> so that's my experience. Casey? I'm also pretty claustrophobic. Um, I've been to a few caves, though. Timpanogos Cave here in Utah County actually yeah. is one that you can walk around There's in. There's some tightish spots, but nothing where you it's have to not, be like crazy. I think it's just you just kind of have to move sideways. And like you're in a line with through. a bunch of people. Yeah, you know? you're with other yeah. people. You don't have to wear like a helmet or anything. No, it's no. not, Kids not ups, super hardcore. You know, yeah, old folks. But that's fun. I like that. Um, I There is a cave near where I grew up called Massey's Cave that had... A bit of a crawl space, and I did as a kid, but I think as an adult, I don't think I would go back no. and crawl down in there because it's it's pretty scary. Yeah, I like caves, though. I think I think they're a beautiful part of the natural world, and they're fun That's to the explore. Yeah. But there's just a lot of accidents with caves, like we were talking about earlier. That Thai cave rescue with those so- that soccer team. What an amazing, miraculous the whole thing. rescue! Tri- tribute to humanity. But also yeah. how harrowing and terrifying. crazy that that even happened. So yeah. if you haven't heard about that Thai cave story, go look it up right now. There's a movie about it on Couple Netflix. Movies. On Amazon. It's a prime of, please. Isaac. Amazon Prime. No, sorry. Just confirming, right? <laughs> Amazon Prime. Yeah. It's a Ron, Ron Howard film, man. It's to a T. It's excellent. Nice. Anyways. There's a great documentary as well that I've seen. I don't know where that one is. I think that's on mm. Disney+. Plus. Yes. Oh, fair. I think yeah, so. Yeah, if you're a subscriber. That sounds like a Disney Plus thing. Pay your yeah. $10 or whatever. <laughs> it's an amazing story, though. Really um, and so I understand the thrill of caving. Like, mm-hmm. I totally get it. I've been in caves. We've, we've all been in them. And they're beautiful. Caves. They're That's beautiful. what Casey said. You, it's something that you should, you know, at least try to experience, I feel. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, one of the most prominent ones that I remember exploring was in Iceland. It was a lava tube, lava cave. Um, those are really fascinating types cool. of caves. Um the one that I went in, I was feeling rather adventurous and I crawled up into a small space and um, luckily didn't get stuck. But it was thrilling. When, when you're not feeling any immediate danger, I understand why it would feel thrilling. Yeah. Right. And so I experienced it. We've all experienced it. But I think there comes a point where you have to exercise caution um, and just not take too many risks, you know? Yeah. So good deal. That's, a, that's wise words from a wise man. Amen. Okay. Very good. So, shall we talk about this cave? The yeah. Nutty Putty Cave. Yeah, Nutty Putty. Nutty Putty. I know it's kind of a silly, um, innocent name for something that is a little, that has such a sad history. But um, first thing that you should know about Nutty Putty Cave is that it's a hypogenic cave. And because of that, it has really narrow tubes and it's really smooth on the sides. And it goes through, it eats through a kind of rock called Chert, which is. <laughs> 
a really funny name. name. I yeah. know. Do tell. I bet there's a hundred kids in Utah named uh, Chert. Chert. <laughs> it's spelled like sorry. C H Y R T T. Actually, Chert is more common. People also call Chert flint. It's really hard, but it's just fossilized limestone. So it's really smooth and really hard and actually really easy to kind of pick at. And a lot of Native American indigenous peoples used chert for arrowheads because it was really easy to kind of chip away at and make something really hard and sharp. Yeah, that's cool. And that's what Nutty Putty Cave is made out of. Nutty Putty Cave is actually located under ancient Lake Bonneville, kind of southwest of Utah Lake over by um, Mammoth and some other old mining towns that aren't really um, populated anymore, but it's pretty far out there. I think it gets its name from um, the putty-like material that they find in the walls of the cave. Yeah, clay. Clay's washed down from the top, and then it kind of coated the sides of Mm -hmm. the cave. And Which the nutty gross. just comes from, because you can't say putty without putting nutty in front of it. I think they <laughs> called it Silly Putty Cave at first. And then, and then trademark they lawyers came out and they <laughs> said, for that crap. Exactly. You owe us $1,000. That's funny. And I think it was brown, so. Yeah, they're like, just it doesn't fit. It just static. doesn't work. Okay, well, very cool. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of the history here. So 1960, Mr. Dale Green was the first individual to explore the cave, mapped it out. Man, um, that guy, so brave. Can you imagine just not going down in there and yeah. seeing where it went? That's but the crazy. issue is I have an uncle who's like that. And so like I can't imagine it, even though <laughs> I can't imagine myself doing it. Um, and uh, I, I, I want to kind of describe it. looks, how do I put this? Looked at the, at the angle that I'm seeing. It looks like Italy, right? I'll just say it. Kind sure. of got a boot shape boot. to it. Um, With a broken leg. Also, yeah, also, (laughs) well, it's got kind of that leg shape to it, right? Almost looks like a crow's or whatever, like a bird or a velociraptor leg. Sure. Um, And we've got kind of three to four main sections. Um, First section entrance, you could go left or right. Um, I'm not seeing on my map where the left ends up going, so we'll just kind of stick right. But it gives you to an area called the Big Slide. Kind of a wider area, which is nice um, for you to get down in there. And then once you hit the end of the big slide, we get narrower. And this becomes important. Put a pin in this. Um, uh, you follow the narrow corridor further down to something called, well, it's basically a fork in the road, right? And the fork to the uh, right is called the Birth Canal. An attractive name. Which is pretty heavily explored. Yeah, at the exactly. Time. Uh, I'm assuming named for the tightness or the... I think it feels like through. being born again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is what they say. Yeah. Uh, and then to the left, and this is important, um, it, we are led to a little place called... Uh, sorry. It's Ed's Push. Yeah. Ed's I, Push. I couldn't read it on the map. It is pretty small. It's very small. <laughs> um, but if you go down the big, um, the big, the birth canal even further, uh, you go to, just as, as Isaac mentioned a second ago, a couple other caverns that you can go explore, well explored. Um, just to the end of the cave. Very narrow. Yeah. So um, let's see. So to enter the cave, there's an access point. It's pretty small. Uh, it's an opening in the ground, 18 inches. Man, again, you think about Dale Green. Like he sees a hole in the ground and says, "Where does this go?" Let's Are go. Are you in kidding it. me? <laughs> what Whatever. a legend. Yeah. So I mean, you got to be you got to be slim um, to enter the cave. The notes here say slim or fit. I would encourage you to try and be both if you're caving. And that's not a diss on any, but we love all body types. But when you're caving, it helps to be Also agile. wear helmets. Yeah, wear helmets. Wear a helmet. Um, the cave was notorious for a long time for scouts um, to explore between 
1960 and 2009, four separate rescue missions were carried out for local scouts who got stuck. And these are scouts. These are small these are people. Little boys. Okay, we're not talking about regular sized people. We're talking about yeah. little guys who get stuck. Should that, you know, say something? I, that's what I think. So I'm going to try and keep my Jake's really <laughs> my, my attitude and whatever about all this hidden. But anyways, all these rescue attempts were successful. Uh, the scouts made it out. I mean, you know, cut some bruises and stuff. But um, <laughs> this is nuts. One of the, the cave branches of the cave is called Scout Eater for this. A little That's grim, morbid. Um, because two different scouts were stuck in the same part of the cave within weeks of each other. Always, always interesting to know. Uh, another prominent feature in the cave, we mentioned this, right? The big slide. So it's 45 degrees, right? That's, that's a slide, yep. mm-hmm. right? It's a big shoot. Um, they would find that it, you know, explorers would find that it's slick and they would just slide all the way down it. And the Trust Lands Administration became worried about the possibility of this becoming so slick or misused um, that uh, they had serious discussions about, okay, well, how are we gonna how are we gonna do something about this? So the administration closed off the cave with a thick gate just inside the entrance, saying, you know what, best way to avoid accidents are to avoid entries. Um, but after three years, uh, the cave was reopened with a waiver sign up system, so that if people want to go in and risk it, they can do it. But it's their call, right? Yep. Um, and then the administration can monitor who goes in, when, how many visitors go in, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the uh, the daredevils of Utah were really upset when they closed it because it was a really it was um, fairly heavily explored, and so they felt like they were taking away their freedom to um, explore the cave at will. And so there was a lot of complaints, and that's the reason it opened up again now, with the waiver system. Really quick, I don't know too much about these folks. Daredevils are they are they cavers? Or are they just extreme sports people? Um, I mean, probably. Both. I think cavers okay. for the most part. There's a Timpanogos Grotto is a really awesome organization that kind of maps out caves and makes people aware of cave safety. And I think they were part of the big push to keep it open. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's maybe we'll do one on them one day. Yeah. Alas, the cave opened up again. In yeah. February of 2009, which is the same year that our friend John Jones decided to go in. Okay, yeah, and if up to now you've just enjoyed the facts, start start paying attention to the narrative. So what we've done, we've kind of written this out in a, a bit of a c- cinematic fashion, and so we're going to split up the story, each reading some chunks of it. Um, but yeah, so this is, this is where the story uh, begins with John Jones and how he got stuck. So let's get into it. Just nine months after the cave reopened, days before Thanksgiving in 2009, John Edward Jones had returned home with his wife and infant daughter to spend the holiday with his family in a town just east of the cave. John was a medical student hoping to be a pediatric cardiologist. John had plenty of cave exploration or spelunking experience, and he and his brothers used to explore um, caves frequently as kids. On November 24th, John and his brother Josh and nine other friends decided to go on an evening spelunking trip to Nutty Putty Cave. It would be their first time entering this particular cave. Having maps with them, they they slipped through the narrow entrance and started crawling towards the big slide. This was around 8 p.m. that they entered the cave. After an hour of fun, John and Josh decided to head further into the cave and try to tackle a feature called the birth canal. Unbeknownst to John, who was uh, in the front of his crew, instead of taking a right and heading towards the birth canal, John stayed on his left leading course and found himself in an uncharted area of the cave. Thinking he was in the birth canal due to its extremely narrow pinches, John was actually just inching further and further into the unknown. 
This part of the cave had yet to be explored because it was so tight and narrow. At the bottom of the birth canal uh, was an area where spelunkers could turn around, catch their breath, and uh, feel some relief before turning back around and um, exiting the cave again. So John was thinking that this area to turn around was ahead as he kept pushing forward these tight squeezes. He sucked in his chest as his squeeze passed the lip of a rock uh, that then took a sharp turn downward. With one arm stretched out in front of him and the other pinned to his side, John's lungs expanded again, and he found himself wedged in a 45-degree downward position, unable to move backwards. I think it was actually steeper than that. I think it was 70 degrees, like almost directly head down. It was it was gradual, so it did start out at that oh, okay. at that 45 degrees, but as you move forward, it's it gets worse. Got it. Um, so yeah, uh, so he knew he had to turn around once he got into this position, um, but he had no way of doing so. Looking ahead, he saw a small opening. He inched forward, um, hoping that the space would be large enough for him to turn around in. And as he moved forward, the, the degree got even steeper and steeper to where it was almost upside down. Um, so unfortunately at this point it was too late for him. Uh, his mistake was 50 feet behind him when he took the wrong turn at that fork in the cave. This section of the cave was called Ed's Push, like we mentioned, and it branched out into four different chutes that were all too small for grown men to fit in it. Not only that, but it was later discovered that they um, all hit dead ends. John slid forward to where he hoped he could turn around only to find that there was no opening. To make matters worse, he had slid into a fissure angled nearly straight down and only about 10 by 18 inches uh, big. And he could he could barely move forward or backwards. He was essentially stuck. Yeah, that's so scary. Oh, take a breath, breathe. right? Yeah. This is good. We're breathe. making our way through the story. <laughs> this is a really sad one. Oh. Um, so once he realized that he was stuck, he called out to his brother, Josh, and Josh found John and tried to pull him out. But it was so tight in there that he wasn't able to get to free him at all. And instead of getting him out, John actually ended up sliding further into the fissure after a failed attempt. And so Josh realized that things were really bad, but John seemed to be in pretty good spirits, and he joked that this would be a funny story to tell in the future. Um, John and Josh were really religious people, and so they said a quick prayer, and then Josh told John to sit tight while he crawled back out to make an emergency call. And by the time the rescue team reached the cave, it had been three hours since John had initially become stuck. And the first rescue team member was a small woman who was really experienced in Nutty Putty Cave. Her name was Susie Matola. And she found John after an hour-long winding crawl through the cave. Susie then introduced herself, and John responded, Hi, Susie. Thanks for coming, but I really, really want to get out of here. So he was so polite and so kind, even in the midst of anguish, I'm sure. Good to him. Optimism. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. You're good. I just wanted to point out, like, when I stand on my head, I I can't do it for more than about 20 seconds before I feel like my head's going to explode. So I don't know how he even lasted three hours at this point upside down. It's crazy. No idea. I I don't have anything to say. I'm just going to sit here and not fall off my chair. Amazing. So miraculous that he lived as long as he did. Um, So anyways... Susie got to him, they had a conversation, and she started trying to get him out. She she figured, oh, John, no worries, you're going to be out of your lickety split. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. So, <clears throat> okay. 
Susie was really experienced and had done rescues in caves before. And so she started tying a rope around John's ankles and running it back to the team, winding up higher in the cave to pull him out. But this wasn't successful. So she just tried to keep John calm and kept talking to him. But as they were talking, she started to hear the sounds of fluids building up in his lungs as he spoke because he was upside down. Um, And he was so congested that he couldn't really breathe through his nose anymore. And he sounded like he had a really bad cold. And as Isaac was saying, the human body is not designed to be upside down. Like I can't even do a handstand for one minute before feeling really really foggy and like i need to get up yeah isaac i love what you wrote here we're supposed to be upright (laughs) you know like that's a given isn't it? it's the fact of the day but it's yeah whatever. we're bipedal i love it i thought it was a good comment (laughs) yeah he was upside almost 70 degrees downwards so all the fluids in his body were rushing to his legs lungs and brain and to Susie, it sounded like John was underwater in the way he was talking. And she described the sound to medics up on the surface. And the medics estimated that John only had about eight to ten hours to live in the state that he was. And so after two hours of trying to get John out, Susie had exhausted her options and headed back to the surface to brainstorm with everybody in the rescue team. And by this time, it was about 3, 3 a.m. So John had been in the cave for about seven hours total. And then the rescuers had a lot of ideas. They were brainstorming. They thought maybe they could pour oil on the rocks to slide John out or blasting parts of the cave, but they quickly decided that that wasn't the best way. And they decided to do a pulley system that had been used to rescue a 16-year-old stuck in the cave a few years before. And so they started putting together the pulley system using different um, pulley ropes and pulley pieces But it was a really agonizingly slow process because each piece had to be traversed through the tunnels down to where John was, which was far into the cave, and then fastened to the rock. And it took two to three hours to just set up the whole pulley system. But eventually they got it set up and they wrapped John's feet in a rope. And they started pulling. And John was hoisted about two feet up from his wedge position. But when his feet hit the rock, he screamed in pain because he'd been upside down for so long that his legs had lost all the blood and were just so sensitive. And any pressure just caused him to just groan out in pain. And to make things even worse, his legs were angled into the fissure in a way that they couldn't be pulled out without having to bend them backwards, breaking his legs. And they were just, all the rescuers were worried that the shock would kill him if anything broke. And so 12 hours after getting stuck and being trying to pull him out, John had turned delirious. And he was starting to accuse the rescuers of putting him in there. And he was really agitated and tried to get himself free. But they only calmed down when they encouraged him to talk about his wife and his daughter. And up until that point, John's ability to stay calm had been unbelievable. He'd managed to stay out of shock for over 12 hours. Whoa. This okay. guy's a legend. This, Yeah. I mean, this, if, if we want to just talk about... <laughs> excuse me. Uh, about how insane the guy is, you know, like not insane in a, in a negative way, but just what a, what a champ, what a guy. Um, I, I'm just struggling to even like improv conversation about this because uh, it, it's shocking to read it. You, you know, having to be in that situation, the rescue teams, you got to admire them for their stoicism. Um, and uh, I, I thought it was just, how do I say this? Like mor- morbidly interesting 
right? So we talked about how his legs were angled in such a way that it, the only way to get him out would be to bend him backwards, breaking them at the knee. And then they were worried that the shock might kill him, right? Um, but they were running out of options such that by the time they were done with the, 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 the pulley system, it had been 18 hours, start to finish, 18 hours this guy's in this position. Poor John. Um, they were moving him inch by inch and allowing him to rest between. And they said, okay, look, the fact of the matter is the shock might kill him, but not leaving, not doing anything will kill him, right? So their hope was to break his legs at the knee, pull him up, and do it quick enough that the shock wouldn't kill him, that they could, you know, treat him and stuff like that. Um, Which is an awful choice to have to make. For real. Getting kind of Aaron Ralston vibes, you know. Um, <laughs> did you guys see that movie? 127, 127 hours. I, ne- I never saw it. Did I never you? saw it. Fantastic. Okay. James, I heard James it was Franco. a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally getting the same vibes though. Yeah. I, I see what For you're real, saying. Right? Okay. So they're at the point where they're like, all right, let's do this. Let's break the legs. Um, God, and this is where the tragedy is like, are you kidding me? Because that might have very well worked, right? Slim chance, but again, better than uh, not doing anything. Right when they were about to break the legs, one of the pulleys became dislodged from the rock wall and sent him sliding all the way back down to where they become stuck. 18 hours of work, a lot of that just waiting, and now we're back at square one. Ugh, frustrating. Um, one of the carabiners, this is intense, by the way, uh, one of the carabiners used uh, near where the rock had been broken hit Ryan Schutz, uh, who was down with John, hit him in the face, and it knocked him out. So let's just add an insult to injury plus, you know, like a real problem here that we did not need. Yeah, um, an extra, an extra person an now extra needed body, to be yeah. rescued. When every single person was extremely vital in this rescue process. And, and so, the, yeah, and it's the middle of the night. Everyone's super tired. Everyone's morale is already dejuiced, right? Uh, and I think fate at this point, everyone just knew what was going to happen. No one really needed to discuss it. But um, just kind of treating this as sensitively as we can. The last thing John was reported to have said uh, was that him was he, that he was asking about Ryan, um, which is cool. Again, you've been in this situation for how long, and you're you're making sure someone else is okay, uh, because they had been together for several hours. You wanted to know if he was okay, um, but after that point, John went unconscious. They continued to redrill fasteners for the pulleys that had dislodged and tried to lift him for another few hours. Nothing was going to work. Um, it wasn't working, and he was not responding at that point. So before he passed out. He was able to speak with his wife, who had reached the scene through a radio. Uh, he assured her he would make it out, and she gave him permission to rest. Um, what a sweet thing. Like, seriously, that's, that's a cool, I don't know. I just, I, I think that's, that's sweet and that's special, and what a sucky moment for them to have to share together. Um, but I'm glad that they got to talk. So now we're at 25 hours past the initial problem. So 9 p.m. the 9 p.m. Next day. the following night. Started at 8 p.m. the first night. Now we're at 9 p.m. the second night. The rescue team pronounced John is dead when they could not register a pulse from his legs. And understandably, John's wife insisted that this was probably a rash pronouncement because um, you know no blood had gone to his legs the whole day and the only place they could check for a pulse was his legs, but they couldn't find it there. And... Um, even if that was the case, the lack of progress wouldn't have wouldn't have helped, right? Um, so yeah, John was gone. John did indeed die, and they promised um, the family they would do everything they could to get him out of the cave's body. Uh, however, it's not like any you know new information was presented, new techniques, and so they just realized he's got to stay in there. And that's one of the you know obviously his death is one tragedy, but not being able to free him is another. 
And so the officials had to decide to leave John's body in the cave and seal off the entrance, <laughs> which I personally feel that was the appropriate thing to do. I don't know. I mean, it's hard when you've got a wife and a, and a child. And obviously that's part of the grieving process is, is uh, registering, you know, the body and everything like that. But it's just what happened to here. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think that just kind of adds um, to the, like you mentioned, it adds to the tragedy of the whole story, right? Yeah. Not only does it seem um, like such a silly scenario because people get stuck in caves, people get wedged in caves a lot, right? Yeah. And it, um, like we mentioned in the story, when he first got stuck, he said, oh, this will be a funny story to tell. Like, sure. he'd obviously gotten wedged yeah. in caves before, Um and so it's just so sad to think that he was in a scenario he'd been in, um, but literally could only move his body max two feet. And that was it. Man. And that was the end. Yeah. And then again, the fact that his family was never able to see him again, just kind of um, heightens the tragedy of this. And um, just imagine like the lack of closure, mm-hmm. you know, just such a sudden thing. He goes into a cave um, and never comes out again. Yeah, this next part I kind of have a little bit of a problem with. So much as the first time when the Spelunkin community wasn't um, very keen to have it closed, the Spelunkin community once more said, hey, we get it. His body's in there. It was a tragedy. But maybe you should just close off the part where his body is. This is a personal opinion. I can't speak for either of you. I, I say just leave the cave, man. Let it be his, you know, that's tomb. that's just me. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Out of respect for him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is what it is. I. Um, what do you think? I don't know. I I can understand. For the, sure you can see the yeah their story. Yeah, I can understand the want to to maintain a really fun cave site. I think a lot of people really loved Nutty Putty Cave. And there was, there like we talked about, there was a lot of pushback when they initially slowed down people using the cave. Um and I can understand that there wasn't a lot of community discussion. It was Sitla who owned the land. Sitla is, um, I don't know what Sitla stands for, but it's just the state land trust. Yeah. So the hmm. landowner Sitla um, just decided to close the cave without much discussion or reaching out to the caving community. And so I think that made people upset as well just because they felt like their concerns weren't being heard or but part of the conversation i th- i think i mean john's family wished him to be there and to be entombed there yeah and they out of respect for him i and his family i think that sitla probably maybe i don't know they probably could have opened up the discussion a little more but i think they also think understood they right that out of respect for him and his family it should have been a little bit more protected and maybe it's because there's like a body in there if if say that he had passed away and they got him out yeah, i can see how right. the community would be like hey it's a risk that we all accept we want to go back in yeah but with him in there to me it becomes like the, the that's his resting place sort of a thing yeah and it's something that is sad that i think is wrong is that people have vandalized the his family Ooh. made a made a plaque and placed it at the entrance once they had um filled in the cave and some people have vandalized it. They've shot guns at it and things like that. And I think that that is Dude. really sad to yeah. his memory. Like seems like an amazing person. And so to disrespect him in that way is I think really kind of a bad yeah. move. Uh, I'm going to read his obituary real quick and then we can do final thoughts if that's all right. 
So this is, this is the obituary recorded in the paper, right? So um, we remember John foremost for his good nature, delightful sense of humor, strong work ethic, and a genuine love of people, a masterful ability to relate to children, a love and unwavering faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and his commitment to his family as an amazing husband, father, son, and brother. No matter how busy his day, how heavy his load, he always had time for his family and his scriptures. He was an incredible example to all of us. Whew. So that's that. Amen. And by the way, there is a movie that they made about this story. No way. It's called The Last Descent. It was made in 2016. So huh. um, I actually watched it several years back, and I thought it was pretty well made. I thought it was awesome. It did a really good job of explaining the situation and paying a good tribute to John. Good deal. Yeah, be safe out there. Explore, respect others, and enjoy the great outdoors in a way that's safe. Thank you all. Good night. Sorry that was so. This, this is a little long. A little somber. At the end. Yeah. <laughs> we can we can cut things out. Yeah. But thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Be safe and have a good rest of your day.